I'm going to take a different approach to this uh, this episode along the same vein as the last one because, as you can tell by the title, there's a backstory behind these podcasts, the books that I've been writing, and so forth. And I thought, well, maybe it's time now to share that because it's very much time to understand how to work with adversity and to expand consciousness and to become more more capable of walking into the unknown with some degree of confidence. So at some point in your life, you've probably faced adverse conditions that could have taken you out. You may have felt disheartened about the way the world is heading or wondered if life has meaning or purpose or, you know, more of an existential type of question. But but that question about who am I, why am I here, but also what is going on in the world today? So this episode then takes you behind the scenes into what happens when your conditions turn to, toward, to against you, when, when you feel like you're carrying uh, the world on you and the beliefs that you were using to navigate previously proved not to work at all. Uh, what we're really going to be talking about here in places is what my partner calls, and the VR project I'm working on calls resilience moments, when you can reclaim control toward you know, reclaiming self-efficacy, which in def- by definition means knowing you're in control of a positive outcome no matter what. Now, my name is Donna Jones. My work is involving delivering transformational insights to transformational leaders, decision makers, personal, professional, organizational, to global. And it's really about seeing deep dynamics and systems throughout to find those leverage points where a small amount of effort creates a quantum result. In early 2003, I got a kick in the pants. It was served up with the awareness that organizations had an undertow that pulled back ambitious change. So the best that could result was incremental. With my eye on the planet's ecological capacity to support the economy, on the massive disconnection between humanity and human decisions and the planet support systems that we rely on, incremental change just wasn't and isn't good enough. As a species, it felt clear to me it was time to adapt and fast. As logical as that was and supported by science, Decision makers in business and politics were looking for a way to avoid responsibility. Any excuse would do. It was in that context (laughs) that I decided to launch Personal Growth for Business, different programs on that, which was both both a leadership and an organizational design, which I have the language for that now. I didn't have it then. But it sort of was a mashup between how we lead, how we design and get things done organizationally, and how we really draw out the potential that's sitting in every single human being that works works in, in, in these companies. So it's fair to say that, you know, reflection number one would be bad timing overall, but I didn't see that at the time because it made so much sense to me, I figured it should make sense to everybody else. That was eight years before I wrote Decision Making for Dummies, but after I consulted and interviewed Dr. Bruce Lipton about the biology of business cultures and the two operating systems of consciousness, you know, what we're conscious of and what we're unconscious of. And of course, there is a subconsciousness as well. Our conversation back then included the important role of the working environment, the social-emotional environment, and the repeating patterns that make what you do as a leader have a massive impact on how organizations change. However, it does take more of a collective effort, clearly, when you're working with organizations. It, the fractal evolution, by the way, uh, just to give it a definition, which is what we're talking about here, is if you think of the stacking dolls you can find in Estonia, 
in the Ukraine, uh, in many shops, even in North America. The big doll on the outside has an exact replica on the inside, which has an exact replica on the inside of that. And at the center lies what I would call the source code. You, as a human being, leading yourself through a world of complex change. What you do then shapes, for better or worse, the world around you. The whole approach I was taking was predicated on personal growth. The expansion of leadership consciousness to hold a wider perspective, see the interrelationships and interconnections, and replace the judgment with much greater wisdom. After several failed attempts at moving programs forward, someone finally pointed out, why would anyone want to look to them, him or herself first, when a process was available? Now, when he said that, he meant it sincerely as if it were the most logical thing in the world to look for answers outside of you rather than raise the level of leadership. It took me by surprise. The story of homelessness begins in 2008 when the recession hit, and by 2009, I'd sold my apartment, walking away with $1,000. I lost all my equity and my investments and the RRSPs and, you know, everything just sort of melted away over a period of time, obviously. So I, I began to move from one place to another. But meanwhile, all the things that my generation was told you make you a success and essentially give you status went out the door, uh, leaving a void. So that left me kind of confused, uh, rudderless, if you will, not sure where to go next, because the rules that I thought were supposed to guide you to success didn't work. I knew what I cared about, but I did not know how to connect that to the world and also in, to connect it in the world in a way that had value for people. I tried a bunch of times to put my own voice forward. Finally, I turned to podcasting and, and other people's voices to build the conversation I hoped to build in business, one that would lead to greater compassion and greater care in the world and, and a much more biosphere level of consciousness, um, as Jeremy Rifkin wrote about in 1994. So <coughs> nine years later, I found a new home. That was three months ago, to be precise. So now's a good time to look back and note how that kind of adversity can either bring out the best or worse and how to use it to expand consciousness, empathy, and compassion. Uh, so in that nine-year period of time, I have run the Evolutionary Provocator podcast that started in 2008. The Insight to Action podcast that started in 2016. I wrote Decision Making for Dummies. I contributed to the Intelligence of the Cosmos and then co-authored along with six other brilliant authors from the hierarchy to higher performance. We're in a very exciting creative time and, and it, it, that is how I spent that nine years wondering. Step back for a second and say, well, okay, how'd you get there? What happened? You can appreciate that when everything that you think you know, the rules as the game of the game of life that you think are how it's supposed to be don't work, it gets a little disconcerting. And so I basically had to really take a close look at where were my beliefs holding me back. And this was the early days of the work. One of the beliefs that a lot of people are raised on is if you work hard, you will succeed. You know, the idea of not working hard is, is not an argument for working less, but it is an argument for balancing between action and reflection. What I discovered then is when you work really, really hard with your nose down, you don't have your head up to see what's coming, to see what context you're in, to know where to go, what to do next, you're, you're, to gauge your sense of timing, to adapt your speed to match what the, what the realities are around you. You're just working, working, working hard. And there's a lot of organizations that are addicted to their to-do list. 
to the point where they're burning their people out and they're not looking around and, and, you know, balancing all that action with some space to sort of say, hey, what's going on in the world and what do we need to do to change to to match that? The second belief that that I'm going to name in this program is if you don't succeed, it's probably you. It's your fault. You're doing something wrong. Now, that's always possible, of course. It's the first stop we go to. You know, if you're not marketing properly, you're not positioning something properly, you need to brand, you need to do, do, do something else. But when I experimented with all those things and nothing really changed, I discovered the real reason was a lot deeper and much harder to pinpoint. So that, you know, that sort of period or cycle, if you will, of working hard and getting nowhere, you know, <laughs> is is actually one that a lot of companies are in now as well, because they're running hard to get to the same place. And, and that's uh, an indication that there's not enough balance, there's no foresight, there's no, you've got to actually pull out of the rut and, and take a look at the larger space. So it's not terribly surprising that this depression statistics are through the roof. I know for me, I was bordering on depression, but I've spent some time visiting that deep, dark hole before, and it really wasn't a place I was interested in revisiting. So it's what I think of the spiral down when things are getting worse. You just watch your energy spiral down and you can actually reverse that, but you have to be observant. So I started paying a lot more attention to my focus. Where was my energy going? There's a shamanic law that says energy flows where attention goes. In any particular moment, where was my attention going to? What I didn't have, what I lacked, or what I did have, even if it wasn't there, but could be acted upon as if it was. And I know that sounds a bit vague and conceptual and high level, but in reality, that is how you, you know, literally, as, as on the episode with Wade Davis, you dream things into existence. You bring them into existence that way. So focus... And being able to shift perspective in the moment is one of the most valuable skills you'll find on on your personal journey and to overcome any kind of adversity in the moment. So if you're starting a startup, the same thing applies. You can call it cognitive agility if you want, plus self-awareness. Either way, it, it leads to a capacity to interrupt a negative thought path and redirect it to a positive, to notice when you're sort of going down that dark path of everything that's wrong with this picture, to rebuilding into a more positive oriented and it's still there's nothing wrong with people saying oh well you know you're not being realistic yeah you are but you can also destroy yourself so the question is what exactly do you want to be doing the first story then involves a moment in the first three months because i was staring at five dollars wondering whether to spend it on gas or did i spend it on food now the circumstances were that i was at that time chairing a transition group for professionals in career transition on a voluntary basis (laughs) And I was living in a remote location. It really made me mad that I had to ask the question in the first place. So that, even just observing that I was angry, was a poor use of my energy. Then I remembered a story I'd seen about Ewan McGregor, Charlie Borman, motorcycling to the south tip of Africa. Villagers had heard they were coming, and so they put signs out on the road so they could come for dinner, inviting them for, for dinner. Actor Ewan McGregor knew, sitting on the dirt floor of the hut, someone wasn't going to eat that week so that they could host these you know, the two true travelers. Yet the people were honored to have them stop and stay for food. So for me, you know, it was a perspective I needed to hold in the moment. Gratitude for that moment. Choices became so much easier that way. Keep in mind that I'd been heavily judged for sticking to my sense of purpose. And that was to 
expand consciousness of business uh, to become leaders and to to regenerate and re, re uh, juvenate life support systems on the planet. The same thing that had been drawing down for since the industrial period to reverse that and become leaders. So that has what had meaning and value for me. And I'd been judged for not being desperate, not just getting desperate, not going out and doing whatever it took to survive. You know, i.e. getting the big uh, suggestion that I had was, why don't you become a greeter in Walmart? And so it was like nobody had a clue. It would not last an hour, I don't think. In fact, I did try working in retail because I used to have a store and I thought, oh, this will be fun. I hear myself rationalizing it. <laughs> and about a week, I, my face had broken out of a rash and I was a mess. So your intuition can sometimes speak to you in multiple ways. That was one way that mine was telling me through these physical symptoms. The environment was not healthy. Biologically speaking, depression is repression of expression, meaning there's some deep aspect crying to be heard, to find a place to contribute that has meaning and a sense of belonging. The goal's got to be big. It's got to be a 10x goal, something way bigger than yourself. The statistics for depression globally are ridiculous, one trillion annually. Combine that with the level of disengaged employees, it really points us to work cultures that are not engaging. My chapter in From Hierarchy to High Performance spoke to this directly. Personally, what I noticed was how I felt at a heart level. If an environment was depleting my heart, I was giving more than receiving, and burnout was going to result. Burnout or depression out of depleted heart energy. Now, you've, you've probably heard this saying, you know, are you giving it a full-hearted effort, or is it a half-hearted effort? That's the same, pointing to the same use of the heart energy as a diagnostic. By far the easiest place to know if you're willing to go through the day-to-day or follow what has purpose is to you pay attention to your heart's energy. Do you feel pulled toward or repelled or exhausted? Do you need to step away until there's clarity? Because if you're confused, well, then that's clear. It's not, it's not clear, so you step back. But every time I thought of abandoning my mission of reconnecting people, business in particular, to caring about a, a bigger goal, I would lose heart completely. Every time I thought of abandoning that, that purpose, I would lose my heart. My, my heart energy would just deplete. It was in those moments of despair and powerlessness that I realized I really had to manage my energy and my emotions to rise above the conditions I was in and to stay on purpose, just as I talked about in the last episode. In the nine years of nomadic wandering, I faced a huge amount of judgment, and almost all of it was because I was deviating from the norm. I did not do what everyone thought I should be doing. I wasn't conforming to societal expectations. I didn't have the trappings, you know, the the material possessions that you're supposed to have. In fact, I'd lost them all. Uh, So I was viewed as a failure with my own generation. But interestingly enough, young generations and a few rare souls in my other, in my similar age group, saw leadership. So that's fascinating because you can look at one person and see their tattoos, their hair, whether it's long or short, their dress and come to widely divergent conclusions about who someone is. People would look at me and see, oh, she's a failure or she's a leader. Well, the same person, conditions are the same, two different conclusions. So that tells you how much there is engaged in both bias and judgment. I think the pressure to conform is similar to the pressure that produces coal. You either get stronger by rising above it, or you crumble. My daughter calls it grit, and it's obviously uh, leadership is made of grit. For me also, I realized that the judgment to conform is exactly what holds back individuals, maybe like you, from leading your life to be more in alignment with what matters to you. It's what holds companies back from switching from profit as a purpose to something bigger 
and more meaningful and a greater benefit to the world. It's also what holds companies back from switching from predictable work processes to unpredictable innovative experiments. It's a major mindset shift to mindfully move from fear and conformity to stepping forward and being true to oneself. You know, for me, there was no choice, but there is always a choice. Part of the judgment stems from assessing people based on their status instead of their value and contribution. This is a shift that I think we're pretty much in the middle of, and I, I hope the word judgment becomes a lost word out of disuse so we can celebrate how the differences in each of us make for better solutions overall. Neuro coach Judith Glazer talks about the school where teachers learning how to wipe the language of judgment clean from the vocabulary gave the result, produced the result that kids of any socioeconomic background were high performers, regardless of the environment they were raised in. It just shows you how powerful it is in terms of supporting or suppressing human potential. So if you think about homelessness or any adverse condition you might face, treat yourself as a startup. You can, you can connect your self-awareness to your capacity to self, both self-manage and self-regulate. So those, that tripod, and yes, it's the emotional and social intelligence language, but there's the add-on of spiritual intelligence, which Peter Sange defined as the capacity to take your whole self to work. I had to take my whole self to work. I tried working for someone else. I was expected to compromise my principles and my values, and it didn't work very well for either, either one of us. You know, that was a long time ago. Now, for me, there's no other option. We need all aspects of your intelligence to engage in achieving the big goals. We need diversity of perspective and, and, and all of that to work together. So I'm going to give you some thoughts around how to work with this if you are, think of yourself as a startup and you're working with adverse conditions, whether it's at home or work, it doesn't matter. Learning. Tripod number one, learning. What am I learning or did I learn? And make this a positive because otherwise you get mad at the past, which is fairly pointless. You want to learn from the past, but not stay mad at it because, and I've seen a number of people that mourn or grieving the past state and they want to return to the 1980s. That came out of the Brexit conversation. Let's just roll the clock back to 1984. Yeah, it's not going to happen. So what am I learning or did I learn from this whole experience? And, and how can I apply that going forward? So that's the future-focused lens. Uh, tripod number two, focus. What am I focused on? On what's wrong with this picture or on what's possible? On a negative emotion? If so, what am I learning about myself from that? Or a positive emotion? Am I focused on my fear of not having enough money or of not being good enough? Or am I focused on what I want to create in my life and for those I love? And the third tripod is speed. And by the way, these three, these three things came from the startup course for Launchpad Academy, which I happen to be taking to guide my VR work, virtual reality work. So learning, focus, and finally, the third one is speed. Do I have expectations for myself that add to the pressure of the situation? Am I trying to will something into a result, or am I paying attention to my guidance for where to go next, my intuitive guidance for where to go next? And in case people think that's woo-woo, no, which some people do for some bizarre reason. 95% of your decisions are made using autopilot decision-making. Some of that is intuitive. In other words, you're listening directly and tapping directly into your intuition. Others that is being driven by your subconscious. I made all that stuff clear in decision-making for dummies, so that's the easiest place to go to to get those uh, distinctions made. And finally, under speed is, am I pushing when I need to be pulling, you know, or just letting things come to me? which actually doesn't translate into an excuse to sit on the sofa and binge watch Netflix for months at a time, months at a time, 
but it does translate into knowing how to pull. You know, I think there's a book that uh, my my good friend and colleague Stelia Verzera talks about the power of pull. Point being that there's some resources out there if you need them. The homelessness to me was like a bungee jumping into the unknown and the uncertain. It's been a wild ride. It brought a ton of anxiety at first, uh, and then more of a calm state of surrendering to the moment, every moment. Uh, As it turns out, being nomadic for nine years became the vehicle to really clear out. I I thought I cleared out a lot of fixed beliefs back in in the 90s, but I cleared out a whole lot more about how the world works, my world works at least, and replace them uh, with the capacity to work with what shows up and feel really good about it. You know, be at peace with that. Not to be angry or resentful or any of those kinds of things. Just to be at peace with whatever it is. It's working with what emerges. Uh, Otto Scharmer calls it leading from the emerging future. And it is truly what that amounts to. It's, it's not trying to bend or control things in your mind, but to allow things to show up. To stay in trust even when... You're looking at things that just seem you can't see the hope, and it's just so much bent on self-destruction. Uh, hope is the currency of leadership to leading to something much larger than the self. You can appreciate that working with what emerges naturally is essential in leadership and organizational transformation in terms of working with the deep dynamics, driving destiny, so to speak. Expansion and restoration of a unified consciousness, which is what certainly I came into the world with, was being able to see things all interrelated. Uh, And then you forget you can see it that way and you have to remind yourself. So it's quite a hilarious process. So expansion and restoration of a unified consciousness where everything sits on one field of existence. There's no duality, no polarity. It's not either or. It's not the kind of stuff we're seeing in American politics right now or other politics worldwide, for that matter. It came about as I was in the experience of, ga- of being judged and observing it from a more neutral emotional place at the same time. So it's pretty much the same skill that would allow you to lose all that currently defines you, your job, your relationship, or your money, so that you can peel away the clutter to see what you truly value, what matters the most. And the answer will be universal in character and value, i.e. money is not a value. Financial security might be. So, you know, doing some understanding of what you value uh, and values, or your values, core values, the non-negotiables in particular, uh, is really helpful for these, finding your way in these kinds of processes, experiences. The definition of consciousness, as Irvin Laszlo put it in episode one, What is Reality? of the Insight to Action podcast, is that it is the sum total of your intuitions, beliefs, assumptions, and amounts to your perceptions. It's how you see and perceive the world. It is how you filter reality and why some would see me as a leader and others saw an epic failure. It's why some could see me wandering around homeless, speaking and writing and sticking to my purpose and see leadership, while others saw someone who was lost but not, not see any of the rest of it. Adverse conditions are what we all face when collectively tackling the big complex issues that threaten the survival of humanity. It's new territory, and it requires conscious leadership and a host of master-level skills to rise above adversity. If we truly hope to adapt human intelligence to keep pace with change and to match it, then conforming to the norm blocks quantum jumps to a more expanded view and capability of creating better things. 
So if you've faced adversity, if you've developed skills and you've not succumbed and, and rolled back and stayed in the place of feeling a victim of circumstance, consider it invaluable training and learning for what needs to be done ahead to address climate change, ecological degradation, and the other global risks we face now. Taking a personal direction for this program is a bit of an experiment for me, so if you liked or didn't like this, please leave a comment on my blog at fromInsighttoAction.com. I'll post the transcript of the episode there. And if you have tips you'd like to offer others that help you overcome adverse conditions, please share those too. The consciousness-expanding skills developed by rising above adversity are central to transforming organizations and being a transformational leader. So thank you for joining me in this program. In the next episode, you'll hear for Anurag Amado, who interviewed me in the previous episode, and how he became a community architect. Thanks so much for joining me in this program. Jump on to LinkedIn, join me there. Facebook from Insight to Action is the page. You can also leave comments there on that episode if you'd like. That would be awesome. Of course, Twitter, EP Donna, D-A-W-N-A underscore Jones. And feel free to reach out to me for conversations about speaking, workshops, and other ways of developing these, these uh, deeper leadership skills that are required today. I ask you to share, like on the various program distribution outlets like iTunes and so forth, provide a review. It would all help. Thanks very much.